We're going to take a break from our series on the Gospel of Mark. We will return uh, in the new year uh, to that, but we'll be looking at uh, the topic of Thanksgiving today, and then we'll turn our attention to the Advent, to the coming of Jesus Christ, and we'll look at that um, for the remainder of our time in this year. And so if you would, turn in your Bibles to our text today, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And I was just talking to somebody earlier. If your parents make you memorize Scripture, then uh, you want to knock out a couple of passages really quickly. It's not quite as short as Jesus wept, but it's pretty close. So... Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would do these things in our hearts, that we would be filled with rejoicing and praying and thanking you in all circumstances. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's very simple, really. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. These three things is what we're looking at today. And they're actually commands uh, for you uh, language buffs. These are all in the imperative. They're commands. And and let me ask you, when you think of these three things as being commands, uh, are these things that encourage you? You know, anytime you're told to always do something, right? You just, just always be thankful, right? Always be joyful, Always pray. Well, you know, that might sound more like being smacked up the side of the head with a two-by-four than really being encouraging. If this is a command of God, something that you're always supposed to do. Um, but I would say this, that our text today is meant for our good, not to, be, not to smack us upside of the head. It's meant as an encouragement. It is good, it is possible, and it should be pursued. It should be pursued both for your good and for God's glory. So let's go ahead and start by looking at the first thing that we're to do, to rejoice always. Now, what does it mean to rejoice? So rejoice is the verb, and the noun is joy. And and I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church context, maybe some of you have not, and I've, I've been told my entire life that joy is different than happiness. Okay, that joy and happiness, happiness is just kind of uh, ethereal. It comes and goes with the change of circumstances, and it's very worldly. You know, if you, if, you, know, you happen to find a $10 bill on the ground, you know, you, you're happy, uh, but then that quickly goes. And joy is something that is abiding, and it lasts longer, and uh, it's, it's constant. It's something given to you from the Lord. And so I I want to unpack this a little bit because we find in the Bible actually that joy is always related to something. It's always in response to something. Um, You know, I might ask you, you know, do you do you have a joy that just exudes from you no matter what? There used to be a little song a number of us would sing. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Now, if you asked your kids or if you asked your parents or if you asked your friends, 
Do I have that joy, 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 joy down in my heart to stay, that stays, or is it kind of comes and goes, joy, right? Well, I don't know about you, but usually my joy comes and goes. I need the encouragement of God's word today. I need to think about God's word today, and I trust you do too, about how is it that more and more and more we can have joy that is abiding, that is continual, that we always rejoice. So again, there's a, a joy for, there's joy for a reason in Scripture. I'm going to give you several passages that highlight that um, on a variety of things. So this time of year, we talk about the, the magi, the kings that came, right? And so Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy in response to seeing the star. Uh, Jesus uh, told his disciples that they should rejoice over the great reward that they're going to receive. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The parable of the shepherd searching for his sheep. He finds his lost sheep. And when he finds it, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. The religious leaders rejoiced when Judas came to them to turn over Jesus. Matthew, Mark 14, 11, and when they heard it, they were glad. That's the word rejoice. They rejoiced and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. We can rejoice over bad things. Uh, they, Jesus said we are to rejoice that we have an eternal home with God. Luke 10, 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There was rejoicing in the parable of the prodigal son when the son returned. Luke 15, 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It's the word rejoice, to rejoice for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Herod, when he saw Jesus, rejoiced. Luke 23, 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. He rejoiced, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. He was hoping to see some sign by, done by him. And then finally, my last example, the disciples uh, in the book of Acts five forty one, when they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name for Jesus Christ. So there's always something there's a reason why people rejoice. So I sort of want to counter a little bit this idea that just there's no reason for it. You're just sort of walking around with a silly grin on your face all day because you've got this, this joy. There's, there is joy. We'll find out that is an abiding joy and how we get that joy. But it's in response to things in this world and things out of this world. I quoted the song uh, some years ago. I can't remember when it was, but it's uh, fitting to quote it again. A musician, songwriter by the name of Bob Bennett in his song, Joy as Deep as Sorrow. He says this, I want good to come after me half as relentlessly as trouble does, like a curse. I want health to protect me, invade and infect me like disease does, but in reverse. I want sweetness and light to keep me up all night, happy hours passing without sleep. I don't want to be unfaithful, but I really want to know, is there a joy as deep as sorrow? Joy as deep as sorrow, pleasure as potent as pain, 
stable as an earthquake, harmless as a hurricane, inmates freed from the asylum, at long last everybody driven sane by a joy as deep as sorrow. What if ecstasy reinvented me so little children would point and smile? What if misery were like the lottery, all my losing tickets in a pile, an avalanche of platitudes better left unsaid, when that which does not kill me makes me wish that I was dead, every day that I am walking, it's always something new. I want to step in a pile of good and leave it on my shoe one fine day, maybe two or three in a row, one fine day, a joy as deep as sorrow. Well, where does that joy come from? That joy such that we can rejoice. Well, we get the clue to that in verse 18. It comes in Christ Jesus, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's, that phrase has to do with all those three things that we're, we're looking at today. So joy comes in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Pretty important. It's right there, right there behind love. And so how does joy work? Does God just kind of open your head up and pour it into your head? Or does he kind of open your heart up and pour it into your heart? Um, well, there, there is no true biblical joy without the Holy Spirit producing it in your heart. And we can actually pray for God to pour joy into our hearts. The Apostle Paul does that in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. But like all the other fruit of the Spirit that are character traits, we see it flesh out in terms of how we deal with people and circumstances. You know, you might say, that person is a really loving person. I'm very loving. I've got love in my heart. Well, if, if you have love in your heart, the Spirit has produced love in your heart, you're going to see it in how you interact with somebody else. It always has reference to another individual. It has a reference to God, or it has a reference to your, your neighbor or your sister or whoever. Love isn't just this sort of ethereal thing that sits there. Love will come out in how you respond to others. In the same way, joy will respond to circumstances. And it has to do with Christ and how Christ works in our hearts. And so it would be nice if he just kind of zapped you, right? John Newton, uh, the famous hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace, he's got this hymn. And in this hymn uh, that is not nearly as well known as Amazing Grace, he's uh, really, I think it might make a great country tune. It's a, it's a story. Uh, it's a story that he kind of goes from the beginning to the end in this hymn. And he talks about, I want, I want God to, to come into my life and to just change me. You know, God, would you change whatever this problem is, you know, this, whatever this sin is in my life, uh, whatever this grace that I want in my life, you know, and it's a good prayer. I want you to change me, God. And maybe we think about that way in terms of joy, right? I mean, God, I'd like a lot more joy. Would you just come one day and zap me? And so here's how this hymn goes. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. It's a good hymn, good prayer. It was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer 
But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once, he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yes, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all my fair designs, I schemed, humbled my heart and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will you pursue your worm to death? The Lord replied, it's in this way I answered prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. Oh, <laughs> right? We, we want joy and God is going to bring joy as we pray for joy. It may come in a moment. It may come as we interact with circumstances in our life where God is teaching us and filling us with joy as we interact uh, with the circumstances of our life more and more. It's a joy, though, in Christ Jesus. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We sing at this time of the, of the year, joy to the world. Right? Why is there joy? Because the Lord has come. Right. We don't we're not singing joy to the world or joy to me because my presence come. Right. Now, there's something much deeper, much important, more important, much more abiding in terms of joy uh, that we uh, we receive joy from Jesus Christ and his coming. Jack Miller uh, was a missionary uh, now deceased. He um, was not only a missionary, but he ran a mission agency. Um, in fact, uh, Gabe and I were over in England a few years back. We met his wife, uh, Rosemarie, and Rosemarie came to him at one point in his mission experience and said to him, Jack, where's all your joy gone? And, uh, you know, he, he took stock. He thought, you know, where has my joy gone? The, the, the uh, responsibilities of this mission uh, and the, and the, um, the tasks um, and sort of being driven by... Um, uh, this desire to serve the Lord, and yet his, his joy had gone. And so he began to think about that, and he began to um, formulate, not just for himself, but for other missionaries, um, training in understanding how um, your serving of the Lord is not just about duty. Uh, it is about duty, but it's also about being motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done. And so it was digging down deep in the, in the reality of what Christ has done in the past and the present and the future. And as we dwell on that, as we think about that, we're filled with joy and motivated to serve the Lord. And so his ministry began to be um, uh, highly motivated in this way. And so going back to where I began, we're not to see joy... And this command to be joyful always as a blunt instrument, a burdensome law, but to see it as something that we're eager to attain uh, as we focus and place our faith on Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So how do we grow in joy? We focus on all that we have received from Jesus Christ, all that we are receiving from Jesus Christ, all that we will receive from Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus came and he died on the cross for us. He lived the perfect life for us that we would receive the gift of eternal life through faith in him as a gift, nothing that you earn or deserve. Instead of the judgment of God, we get the grace of God. We get the gift of God. We are adopted into God's family. We receive adoption. We're sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ and much, much more. We dwell on these things and we're filled with joy. And then secondly, we pray for it. Like I said, we pray for joy, which leads to the second command in verse 17. We're to pray without ceasing. And joy and prayer and thanksgiving, these three things, they all relate to and impact each other. And so we go from joy to praying for joy. We pray without ceasing. Now, the point here is not that we are to nag God. Jesus said, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The part of praying without ceasing means that to use the Latin term quorum Deo, that we live before the face, before the presence of God. We know that as we walk, as we live, as we go to school, as we uh, go to church, as we whatever we do, that, that we are in communion and fellowship with God and God knows us and sees us and we can talk to him. We can communicate to him. One time I was on a, a missions trip uh, with, a, with a minister uh, and um, he was an older man that had led this particular trip. And it was in the morning and we, I passed by his room. The door was closed and I could hear him talking. I thought I didn't know anybody was in his and, I, and as I got close, I realized he was praying. He was talking out loud and praying to God. And says, oh, I need to move away from here and let him uh, pray in, in privacy. But we don't always have to do that, right? You don't have to be walking down the street or um, here in church, you know, as you pray, just start talking out loud. Um, but we are talking to God. We're praying to God. We're living life. When we have impressions, we have thoughts, we have thoughts, we have things we want to share with God. We want to thank God. We want to ask God. God is actively in your life, and so we speak to God. And sometimes we stop praying because we think God's not listening, right? Doesn't answer our prayers in the way we want him to or in his, our timing. And we uh, should remember Jesus um, in Gethsemane. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you're as you will. We know there will be times God is listening to us. He cares about us, but he does not always answer our prayers in the way that we want him to answer them when we want him to answer them. We pray to God as a father, a God who cares. You know, if somebody just showed up at my door, some stranger knocked on the door and I said, yes, can I help you? And he said, well, 
Actually, yes, I'm glad you asked. I, I, you know, I've got a debt that I need paid. Would you help me pay that debt? You know, some stranger at the door, I just close the door, right? Um, but now what if your son or daughter asked you for something like that? Um, some need. So God is our father. God cares about us. And we pray um, to our father in heaven. Our father is almighty. Our father can do anything. And so we go to God who cares for us. We pray to God. We, uh, we uh, set aside time to pray. Uh, Matthew 14, 23, Jesus, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Jesus certainly exhibited this command to pray without ceasing. He was praying without ceasing all day. And yet he wanted to pull away at times to specifically talk to his father alone. And we need to do that, too, as part of this praying always. And we do pray throughout the day as needs arise, as thoughts arise. We need to be ready to pray. Um, it means that we need to be able to regularly pray about things during the day or during the week, Ephesians 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Well, I don't think the Apostle Paul, when he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, that he actually, every single moment of every single day was praying for them. But he had regularly prayer for um, those Christians in Ephesus. So we need to be in prayer for people. Uh, you need a prayer list unless you've got a really, really good memory, right? You need to write this down. Um, and people over the years have said, Ron, you know, you, you pray for me and, you know, I'll ask about, you know, what about this? What about that? Uh, guess what? It's not my memory. I write it down, right? I write it down and it comes up in regular prayer time with the Lord. And so we need to do that as part of this command and this encouragement to pray without ceasing. We can pray for so many different things. We can pray for God's blessing on people. Matthew 19, 13. Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. We're to pray about temptation. Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. We're to pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're to pray for healing. James 5, 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We're to pray for physical events and weather-related events. James 5, 17 and 18, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. There's a lot of praying around here, uh, between June and November in our area about the weather. And thus we should, right? That's the point. Um, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Again, all of these three are interrelated. So we pray a prayer of thanksgiving. So let's talk about thanksgiving. Give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Literally, that actually, if, if you translated it literally, it would be give thanks in all. Okay, but the, the uh, translators of the Bible think that's just a little bit too obscure. But, but it, it means, yes, all circumstances, but all times, all hours, all conditions. Give thanks in all. 
So we give thanks for food. Matthew 5, 36, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and his disciples gave them to the crowds. You know, there are actually a lot of examples in Scripture of people giving thanks for food. Thanks for healing. Luke 17, 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Thank God for the people in our lives. Acts 28, 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. We can be thankful for the people in our lives that God gives to us to encourage us. We thank God. And that thankfulness is a mark that we know and honor the Lord. Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. We thank God for answered prayer. 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We're thanking God as a reminder and as we are reminded of the gift of others in our lives. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so, as I said, prayer and thanksgiving and joy are all interrelated. One feeds on the other. It's sort of a three-legged stool. And as you think practically about these areas in your life, if you think I'm really lacking a little bit in joy or lacking a little bit in prayer, or lacking a little bit in thanksgiving, or maybe we're just lacking in all three. But as you think about that, and particularly struggling in one of those areas, go to those other areas. If you want to improve your thankfulness, go to prayer, go to joy. If you want to improve joy, go to prayer, go to thankfulness. And so these three things, as we go to the Lord, thanking him, praying to him, rejoicing, um, we live a life for him. And it says we're to thank him in all circumstances, Um, not for all circumstances. It's not as if you stub your toe, you know, you should say, thank you, Lord, for doing that. Um, uh, Thank you that I stubbed my toe today. Um, I saw a guy just this week. It was, I passed a wreck just after it happened on 15th Street. Um, and the, and the whole side of his car was basically gone. In fact, the tire was laying about five feet away and, uh, and there he was outside of the car, you know, standing apparently unharmed, nothing happened to him. And I thought, you know, thank you, Lord. And I'm sure he thought, thank you, Lord. Uh, he wasn't thanking the Lord that his car was totaled, but he was thanking the Lord in that circumstance that the Lord had pre- uh, preserved him and protected him. So we thank the Lord in all circumstances. We can thank the Lord for protecting us. We can thank the Lord for teaching us through difficult circumstances. We may not even know what the Lord is doing, but we can be assured that as we go through difficulty, that as the author of Hebrews says, he's treating us as sons and daughters that are loved by him. He's disciplining us. He's helping us. He's training us through these things. Why the joy? Why the prayers? Why the thanksgiving? They're all in Jesus Christ. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
And so I'd ask you this morning, first and foremost, if you want, if you want all of these things in your life, do you know Jesus Christ? Because that's the only way that you're going to embody these things is by knowing Jesus Christ. Have you come to that point where you know that you need a Savior, somebody who lived in a way that you have not lived? The, the Christian message is not about you better uh, shape up. You better shape up or else you're not going to get in. Okay, <laughs> You better shape up. The message of the Bible is there is one and only one who lived the perfect life. That's Jesus Christ. And so we trust in him. We trust in his perfection, his perfect life. And we trust in his death on the cross, his perfect sacrifice for us. And we know that the spirit of God works in our heart and does help us to grow in all these areas. But we rejoice in the gift of Jesus Christ. You can today know him by simply placing your faith in him and trusting in what he's done for you and believing in it. And you will begin to experience this joy and this thanksgiving and this prayer in Jesus Christ. God has a plan for you in your life. And his plan for you in your life is that you would increasingly be joyful, that you would increasingly pray, that you would increasingly be thankful. And as this happens in your life, that's good. That's a good life. And so that's what we pray for. So let's do that now. Father, we come to you and we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for Jesus Christ. We're thankful for all that he has accomplished, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the gift of the fruit of the Spirit. Father, we're thankful for your loving care for us. And we pray that you would more and more fill us with joy, that you would fill us with thanks, that, you would, that we would be more and more intent on praying. Uh, because of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things we are to thank the Lord for...